0: Welcome to Stories from 400 Feet, the podcast that gives you the inside story on what is happening in the drone industry, from the everyday to the not-so-everyday events that define this industry and push it forward. If a drone flies, we'll be there. Hi, I'm Danielle Gagne, chief storyteller for Relatus Aerospace. And today, I am joined again by Divi Srivastava, founder and CEO of Paladin. Divi joined us at AUVSI just a little over a month ago, if you don't remember. Great podcast. Please check it out if you haven't listened to it already. And he was talking about his drone as a first responder autonomous system, the Nighthawk. Since then, Paladin has won the first ever Class B airspace beyond visual line of sight waiver for the Elizabeth Police Department, in New Jersey, which is already attributed to the arrest of a suspect. It is great to have you back on the podcast. It's, it's really exciting to, to be able to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, Danielle, always a pleasure to be here. You are always fun to chat with. Thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure to be able to speak with you as well. Um, so let's just get right to the conversation, shall we? Going through any BVLAS process is really challenging. Time consuming and it's often expensive. What was the impetus that set Paladin and Elizabeth Police Department to take that route?
1: I, I want to first say that all of the advancements that we're seeing in the drone industry, specifically within first response, is very much being led by departments who see the value of, of drones. And we just happened to get connected to Elizabeth. I think we were just reaching out departments saying, hey, listen, we've built a system. We've gotten some BVLOS waivers. We'd love to see if this would be useful in your city. And the detectives and officers we were talking with had been flying drones for such a long time. They've had a massively successful program. And they have always seen that by using drones, they're able to keep their city safer. And I think what really was fate, luck, whatever you want to call it, was that EPD and Paladin were both agreeing that, okay, we need to get DFR in the city. We have seen how successful drones are without the autonomy to catch suspects. So they've had very much real world experience. And we came in and said, well, you have an amazing program. How can we help that even more? And, you know, we walked them through of this is what the process could look like. You know, we'll talk to the FAA. This is what Nighthawk and Paladin does as a system. And we just got right to it and said, all right, well, let's see what happens, right? This is very much uncharted territories. We knew that the airspace was incredibly difficult, but Elizabeth, they've navigated it before. They have, they've got COAs and JCOAs for this restricted airspace. So we thought, okay, well, if we're able to do that, let's try. And I think it's departments like Elizabeth who are willing to take and push and just try to get things done. That's why we're here today.
0: It's really exciting to see that experience with using drones and understanding the value that they're bringing to their own city and to their citizens. What was the process that you had to go through to get the waiver? And what were some of the challenges?
1: Yeah, so this is the first time, as far as I know, that BVLOS has been granted in Class B, Bravo Airspace. And for, for those who don't know, Class B usually is around airports. So there's a lot of air traffic coming in and out. And if you have drones flying in that area, and it's either irresponsible, or we have any sort of weird mishap, well, there are people in those planes, it could be catastrophic. And we take safety to be the number one thing whenever we go out to any sort of city. So the process itself is, the FAA's job is to make sure the airspace is safe is to prevent accidents from happening. And by having done BVLOS waivers in the past, by being a part of that process, you know, we've started to learn that there are several things safety-wise that the FAA is looking for. So the first step of the process is to understand what does that airspace look like? So right, uh, we're Elizabeth is south of New Jersey International Airport, massive, massive airport. What does that look like? Where are the planes coming from? Where are the radiuses? You know, what are the ceilings for where you can fly? Okay, so we take a look at the airspace. Now we see, okay, what safety precautions do we have to take as paladin for the system that we're creating and an Elizabeth PD operationally to avoid things from going wrong? And there are several things, right? The, The first thing is, if you're going to fly beyond visual line of sight, Okay, what happens if you lose control of the drone? What happens if you lose battery? What happens if you can't see it anymore? So how are you going to control it? And at least from the tech side, we've built out several fail-safes to keep that from happening. We've thoroughly geofence and test our geofence. We'll literally think of it as a battery ram. <laughs> we'll, we'll set the geofence and try to push the drone through it. And only after we've had you know hundreds of tries successfully with no issues, okay, this works. If we lose connection, it won't go past this boundary. If we lose battery, here are our RTH, return to home. Second thing is, how do you maintain communication with that drone? Again, it's the safety precaution, right? If you can't control the drone, if you can't see it, how are you going to know where it is? And that's really where a lot of our LTE tech comes in, because Nighthawk is built all around LTE. We don't lose signal with the drone as we're sending it one mile away, two mile away, three miles away. And if we do on occasion lose signal because of bad cell coverage or whatever, the drone knows to return home. It knows to try to keep reconnecting, but there's always a return to home procedure built in. Same with battery life. And operationally, like Elizabeth has just had so much success and so much experience with drone programs that they know operationally, okay, if we're going to be flying drones, we need visual observers, we need to have several people in the operation, and we've been able to essentially create a CONOPS, concept of operation, that encompasses all of those things into a fairly lengthy document. We submit that to the FAA, because this is from our end, right? These are all things we have thought for, and then we have a meeting with the FAA. And they say, okay, well, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. This makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Have you tried this, this, and this? And sometimes it's a back and forth. Sometimes it's an immediate, yes, it just it depends on how carefully we've crafted out these safety scenarios. Thankfully with Elizabeth, the con we presented, they accepted, they liked it. And we wanted to make sure that we actually had the right waiver. There was actually a, we, we needed to make sure that we were flying within the ceilings because uh, Elizabeth already had a waiver to fly above like at a 200 or 100 feet. We have to make sure that we are following those r- religiously. Putting all that together in, in a matter of a couple of months, we finally got it approved. And the minute we did, we were operational um, in just a couple of days. And again, this is nothing from Paladin's side. This is just from Elizabeth just being ready and just pushing ahead and willing to take that first step, if you will. And we're here to help them however we can.
0: That's really incredible. Just the amount of knowledge and experience they're able to pull from all of their previous work to understand what they needed to bring to the FAA and to get that program ramped up almost immediately. Can you talk about what that waiver now enables Elizabeth Police Department to do?
1: Yeah. So operationally, we can now cover the entire airspace of Elizabeth, the city, with a single drone. Again, within the confines of the geopolitical boundary. But pretty much a three-mile radius. And that means that when someone calls 911, whatever that emergency might be, someone is calling for help, there's a um, fire alarm going off, there's a burglar alarm going off, a drone can get on scene within 90 seconds. That drone is able to show exactly what's happening to the firefighters, to the police officers, whoever is the responding unit. They can see it and they can start planning ahead of time. I, I think cities, departments across the country are, are very understaffed right now, and that is only adding to the stress of an already stressful job, where you have all these nine one one calls that might be lining up, and and you you want to find a way to clear them and get to them from call to call, but you only have so many people. So. By having a drone there, we can at the very least be able to move resources around. Let's say a burglar alarm comes out or a fire alarm through the drone because the drone gets there first. We have almost an hour long battery life. It can stay on scene to see if, hey, is there actually something happening here if other units are busy? And if something does happen, we're able to immediately communicate that. And the department now has significantly more information on what is actually going on? How do we need to allocate resources? Do we need to call in extra help from surrounding counties? Is there a massive fire about to break out?
0: Those are all really important. And also, I'd imagine it helps to prioritize the level of whether this is a false call or this is something real and we have to send the right amount of people over to this. We need to put resources here. That I can imagine that just helps departments to allocate their resources smarter. And And their job is to take public funds and use it wisely. And I can just imagine that this makes such a huge difference in in that process for them.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're as an industry at the very, very beginnings of the potential of all of this. And we're we're honored to be working with departments who want to take that risk, right? Who, because it is a risk to try something. It always is. And it's our job as Paladin to minimize that risk from operational side, from safety side so that we can make this a system that any city can use, that any city with the smallest of of budgets, the smallest manpower can find a way to hopefully augment the response if it's something that makes sense for them.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, you you just led me into my next big question. Considering the circumstances of this particular waiver, do you see this as a repeatable process for other departments? Because as you said, this is just the beginning. How do we make it grow?
1: I think the way we make it grow is by finding other departments who are willing to take that step. And I'll have more news on that soon, hopefully. But we're well on our way to getting more and more waivers for these departments, working with these departments. And I think it's not yet a process where you can, you know, apply it online and there's a boilerplate and it just works for everybody. We're not quite there yet, but we are at the point where waivers are happening. We're getting BVLOS waivers. This is not our first BVLOS waiver. This is number four or five, I believe. We have more, hopefully, fingers crossed on the way. So I think we're working with the departments who want to see this happen, who see it, Some value in in having DFR and having BVLOS and having Paladin as a company they trust to make this happen. And I think we're well on our way.
0: It's really exciting news. And for anyone who's looking to deploy drone as a first responder in their department, are there any specific requirements or things they should be aware of before they, they start on this journey?
1: I think several things. We often talk to departments who don't have a drone program, or they are just starting their drone program. And it's so difficult to start something in the first place, because while more and more departments are using drones, and, and people are buying them, there is a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, okay, how do I actually set up a program? Which drone do I need to buy? What is the training that I need to go through? What sort of manpower is this going to require? What, what is the maintenance? All of these different things so all of that put together can seem like a steep hill to climb the good news is departments are doing it and if a department is looking into let's forget dfr let's just say drones in general some of the things to know are one it is possible it's very very possible departments are doing it left and right there are several just resources available there's facebook groups where officers firefighters can ask questions and it's all community-led a wealth of resources and we like pointing people towards that direction so you know you can do research on which drones to buy what sort of training you would need you know what sort of things here and there and where Paladin comes in specifically for DFR is we're here to help walk through that entire process from a zero start we've been successful in getting drones like a DFR program running in departments that have never had drones before and that's what we want to keep doing We we want to find a way to make this If not easy, then accessible.
0: And that's really quite a feat to be able to take a police department that has no drone experience and walk them through the regulatory maintenance flight and technological knowledge to be able to bring this to their towns and cities and understand the value of going through that process from square one. There's so many great programs out there. Drone responders is one. They've been doing a lot of great work.
1: They they really have. They're one of the resources, like I said, community led, and and this is something I learned very early on. I'm not a firefighter. I'm not a police officer. These are one of the first things I I still remember in um the first time I was riding along with a firefighter. I was there the entire day, and you know I was there like 80 hours a, a week, but at dinner time, everybody like got together and yeah, we're we're all cooking food together. That's part of it. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the type of community that I'm trying to make a product for that I'm, I'm hoping to help. And it's, I think what's going to keep pushing this ahead. And I think that's what we really have ingrained into Paladin is we want to be there for the lifetime of this program. If anything goes wrong, like, because things go wrong, propellers break, batteries go bad, software fails, things happen. And we want to be there to help for everything that we can. And I think we've been successful with that with with the departments we're working with. And this is just the beginning.
0: And it's really inspiring to hear how much you've, you've entrenched yourself in learning the needs of public safety and really trying to build something that matches them and your willingness to stay beside them and help them through all of those challenges and the technological side, which is where your expertise comes in. It's really providing a solution to a real world problem versus having a solution in in search of a problem. And and that's such an important thing, not just for what you're doing, but for everyone who's building drone technology throughout the ecosystem. Just want to pivot a little bit because part of your press release also mentioned that within two days, as we, we talked about earlier, you're system helped with an arrest. Can you talk about what has been done so far and what kind of calls it's been deployed for?
1: Our company's mission is to deploy drones to 911 calls. And we have seen that when the drone is on scene for 60 to 80% of calls, we're helping the situation just by giving information. So types of calls that we go on are, for example, car crashes, getting the drone there first, assessing the scene, even trying to find the, the actual location of the crash. Because if you're panicked, you're calling 911, either you're in a crash or you saw something as you're running by on the highway. It's very difficult unless you're trained to know what to say. So car crashes are huge. Search and rescue missions, we're going to burglar alarms, we're going to fire alarms, shots fired if, if something is happening, get there first, assess the information. And You know, in terms of things that we don't go to are uh, like domestic disputes, things that are indoors. We are probably not going to be able to help in any way, shape, or form there. So, this is this should be a system that's used again on something is happening where you need that overhead view, you you need that information. So, those are just like a, a couple of things that we're starting on, and I think. Pretty much every day we hear from our officers, hey, actually, it would be good to have the drone sent over on, on a traffic stop for safety concerns. And we're here to listen to all of that and, and propose it to the city because at the end of the day, this is a decision that gets made by the city council, by the chiefs. And we determine, okay, these are the types of calls the drone is going to go on. These are the types of calls the drone is not going to go on. We make that clear so that the purpose of the drone is very singular
0: and that's really important for for the public to understand but it's also really interesting to see how the public and how the departments and the cities are defining the role of drones i know a lot of times we talk about drones like if we put this drone out it's going to be there for everything and that's not the case we're being very purposeful about how these drones are being used and making sure that they're being used in a way that makes sense for the mission and that's just an important thing that That I just want to amplify what you're talking about, because I think it's important for the public to understand that's how we're deploying these drones.
1: I mean, last thing, I I live in these cities. I I don't want a drone overhead that's surveying me 24-7 for whatever reason. Like, that's creepy. (laughs) (laughs) It's very creepy. But we're very purposeful of when we go to a city, the information is, is publicly available. It's all under public record. And if someone calls themselves, like, hey, what's, and we've had this before where, you know, we're we're going to a 911 call where, where in one of our cities, a drone is being deployed and then someone sees it overhead, they'll call the police and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, why is there a drone overhead? And they think that it's some hobbyist spying on them, but we're able to say, well, hey, first of all, I'm I'm sorry that this is inconvenienced you. What was actually happening is drone was heading to this specific emergency, it was heading to a car crash, It was heading to here or there. The drone was flying at 200 feet. We kept the camera pointed straight at the horizon until we get closer to the actual scene. And if if anything was being recorded, here's the video. And, you know, we're not seeing anything from there. We we don't want to be seeing anything from there. And thank you for calling us. And The minute we say that, hey, or not even we, it's the police department, let them know that this is part of an operation for emergencies. Then they're like, oh, okay, cool. And then they started asking other questions. Oh, so can you go on here? Can you go here, here and here? so it's it's a very holistic process to get this up and running because drones can be used very irresponsibly it's a flying camera right and in the wrong hands bad things could happen and it's our job and i think it's the job of the industry to make sure that we're responsible with the powers that we have been granted and are creating
0: absolutely and and the more that we can stress that drones are a tool and just like any tool, they can be misused, just like a cell phone can be used to do terrible things. Uh, just leaving a spoon could be dangerous in the right person's hands. So you just you have to have respect for that. And as an industry leader, just be responsible for what you're creating. So as you're looking at some of these early results, are you learning anything from it?
1: I'm in Elizabeth right now. We're here to learn from the responses. We're learning that, okay, our our cameras need to to be a lot more precise as we're moving them up and down. We need to make it easier to, to control the system. So that's from the tech side. Operationally, we're learning, okay, we need to be very thorough on how to maintain the system, on how to make it easy for everybody to use. So every single day is a new learning experience. And I feel blessed to be with a team within Paladin who very much believes in getting their hands dirty and being right there.
0: Inspiring. I always like to end the podcast with the same last two questions. The first one is, is an opportunity to talk about any myths or misunderstandings that you'd like to clarify about the drone ecosystem. And in your case, specifically about drone as a first responder.
1: I think the biggest myth is that it can't be done. the biggest myth is that it requires significant resources or it requires a lot of time it does require some time and it requires thought but it is very much doable for a large city as well as a small city and we're working closely with smaller cities that's who we think are going to see the biggest impact from this so i think the biggest myth is that dfr can't be done, or that it's still not ready. It's ready today. We're seeing the results left and right. We're going into more and more cities pretty much every week at this point, and uh, there is a path forward. And Paladin is going to do everything we can to stay on that path and make DFR a reality for everybody.
0: Such an exciting um, future that that you envision there, and you said something that I thought was interesting. I'd like to ask a follow-on question. You, you said that you think those mid-sized to smaller cities might actually benefit more than those larger cities. What are some of the reasons that you see that being the case?
1: So I see that the smaller cities are usually the cities that are resource constrained. Not to say that big cities aren't resource constrained. I think across the industry, in several different industries, everybody is resource constrained. I think with smaller cities, it's very much sometimes technology or something gets available and it's targeted towards hey you know this big city will use it because it's meant for all these cases all at once and that's still great it, it's necessary but small cities need similar technology too so by having a dfr program in a smaller city where you're resource constrained where you don't have enough officers While the drone will never replace an officer, it might help better allocate the existing resources that are there and become a force multiplier for the boots on the ground.
0: Well said. Great reason for those small cities out there to not ignore this technology and to consider it because it really can help, especially with those resource constrained cities that still have a job to do. That's vital to the population. My final question is any last thoughts you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Watch Top Gun. It was great. Top Gun Maverick, I saw it, I think, twice this weekend. I, I loved it. So go watch it. If um, if you like action movies, I think it's watch it in a big screen, IMAX or Dolby if you can. And if anybody wants to start DFRs, even looking into drones, please reach out to me. I would love to know what I can do to help.
0: I haven't seen Top Gun yet, but it's on the top of my list. I'm looking forward to it. And and thank you so much for, for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you, Dippy.
1: Of course. Likewise, Danielle. Thank you.
0: That's this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us again for our next story from 400 Feet. Until then, fly safe.